This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. Good morning, everyone. What's up, what's up? Elk River, Maple Grove, Spring Lake Park, Emmanuel at home. We're all together today, and we're stepping bravely into a new future. We didn't anticipate it. It's different than we ever would have thought. And it's really important that we gather together and we gain strength and hope and singing songs like he's overcome the grave, Jesus has. We don't have fear of death. We're not to shrink back because Jesus is building a new future in all of us. Can I get an amen to that? Very excited about what God is doing. And as we enter into a brand new series, I believe that God is going to help all of us have hope. And he's going to help us plan and move into the future and not do it with fear, but do it with courage and be who God has called us to be. And so if you come to church today, you didn't come to just get a little homily, pat you on the back and say, it's going to be okay, baby. You came to hear from the word of God. You came to hear that God is with us and our church name, Emmanuel, God is with us means that we're not the type of people that are going to shrink back and fall apart. No, we're going to get stronger in the middle of all of this. You know, in the middle of this worldwide pandemic that we're in, the day and age that we're in, there's comebacks that are starting, uh, returning to what is a new normal. Things like sports came back in the last week. Super excited about that, and the NBA is back, and uh, just a distraction, get to watch uh, some, some sports, and, and locally, we've, the, the Minnesota Twins began to play again. In fact, we got a picture from our own Isaiah Rustad that we've got up there that he took a picture of a Twins game this week, and then we've also got uh, local soccer, MLS soccer, and the Minnesota United are playing, and man, it's just kind of fun to see, but even all of those, including the NBA, have the NBA bubble they have to do it differently than they've ever done things before. And there's new protocols and new expectations and new pathways. And, of course, this week, parents and throughout the state of Minnesota experience a brand new reality with education as we consider what school is going to look like in the fall. And it's not going to be like any other fall has been. It's a new normal, if you will, or a new future. And and, uh, and I want you to know, parents, you don't need to be afraid. God is going to be with you. I'm praying for you as a pastor. I'm praying that God helps you know how to take steps of faith and not be worried. God's going to take care of you and your kids. But how do we know what are the right things we're supposed to do? And what, what are the things that we need during a season like this? I think we need a gift of perspective, for one. Perspective is the ability to see what is happening from a different viewpoint. Sometimes if we're locked into only one viewpoint, we don't, don't see, see the whole picture. And, and, uh, and I, I will tell you this, it means we need to look from multiple vantage points, time and other people's stories and God's understanding. And perspective requires listening. You can't appreciate what you don't hear. So when you come to church today, you're coming to hear a perspective from the word of God. Hopefully it helps you as you interpret the world outside of the church. It's to give you that kind of perspective. Perspective requires patience to listen to another person, not just the words that they say. It requires willingness to add to your own understanding or viewpoint, and it requires acknowledging, I don't know everything. In fact, turn to the person nearest you and say, I don't know everything. <laughs> I think of anything... 
We don't know. Maybe we don't trust everybody out there. But we personally don't know everything either. And we need God's perspective on our story. And there are always more than just two perspectives, us versus them. And I, I believe that we've got to learn to appreciate the different perspectives even within the body of Christ. And uh, by the way, unity does not equal uniformity. Not everybody's going to see what you see, even within the church. But we can still have unity even if there's some disagreement about different issues that are going on in the world that is around us. Ultimately, we need to get God's perspective for his perspective is different than ours. He sees the whole picture. And the goal for our series that we're stepping into right now is to help us gain perspective by looking at what the Bible can teach us for this day and time so we can move into a new future. And doing that requires drawing from very real history. Did you know this is not a fiction book? That this is real history planted throughout decades, centuries, millennia, where real stories can provide hope for us. God's word has provided incredible wisdom and perspective and hope for generations in the middle of different dynasties and world powers and horrific abuses of power and genocides. God's people remain on track when they listen to the voice of the scripture. And for the early church, much of their hope came from what we now call the Old Testament. Let me just take a moment to talk about the Bible and what it is. When it, in a very simplistic terms, this is a book, 66 books, and uh, the first part of the book, 39 of those books, is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the story of God speaking and having a special relationship with humanity and a nation for, formed called Israel. And uh, it includes things like the law and how to have a relationship with God and practices of life. And it also includes poetic literature, apocalyptic type literature, revelations um, type of, of spiritual understanding in the middle of that in the Old Testament. But it was called, in a sense, the Old Covenant. The Old Testament refers to a relationship between God and people based on the law. Hidden within the Old Testament are previews of a future movie, if you will, or prophecies about a coming day of a new relationship that God would establish with people through a person that would be called the Messiah. The Messiah would establish a new kind of relationship. So that new relationship is now known as the New Testament or the New Covenant. In the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's the account of Jesus on the earth. The real story of Jesus through four different authors. Those authors uh, illuminated different parts of Jesus' life under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and talked about the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. It did not cancel the Old Covenant, but it created a new opportunity for a relationship between people and God. And then after Jesus was ascended to the Father, the rest of the New Testament is about the story of the church of Jesus left behind after Jesus ascended to the Father. And they, there's all kind of letters and writings that are sent to the church to help them know how to live in the new covenant. Well, today, what I want you to see is, is that we are now going to draw from both the Old and the New Testaments to help us in this moment of our story. And in the series, we're going to look at some Old Testament books I'll talk about in a moment. 
For the moment, though, I want to give you an example of how the New Testament would draw from the writers, would draw from the Old Testament to give them hope in their moments. For example, Paul, an apostle, wrote to a guy named Timothy, which was his protege. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he talks about something going on in the world around them at that time. It says this, he said, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving on social media. Oops, I put that part in there. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. So Paul is giving this... uh, a correct assessment of the world around the church and even some of the people that were in the church. And he said, in the end times, these things are going to happen. Anybody know these things are happening right now? Okay. So, but then he also says, I'm not the only one communicating with you. There are some teachers out there, teachers in the church and outside of the church that are trying to make you think a certain way. And so he says this, and, and it goes on in verse 7. It says, they are forever, a group of people are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. In other words, there's a new news flash, a, a shared story on social media. And now you're wondering, what does the CDC really mean? And what's behind a pandemic? And who's truthful and who's not? What are the real facts? How many know those things change almost every day? Okay, so he says this, he says, be careful, Timothy, because there are people in the church that are following the latest news stories, and they're learning a lot, but they're not learning the real truth that will hold them secure in a season like this. So I want you to hear me, church, today. We need to lock in on the eternal truth, not just the temporary facts that change by by day, and the politics that are going to ramp up through November, and everybody's trying to use the audience on the other side of those stories to get us worried and fearful and concerned and, and get us in a place where we ourselves are lawless in our own hearts. Now, Paul would say to Timothy, listen, this is going on, and we're When you want to face these issues, you need to draw from the scripture to help you have a sense of equilibrium and balance to your life. Because look at verse 16. He says, all scripture, and by the way, in the New Testament, when it says scripture, the only scripture they had at that time was the Old Testament. So he says, even the Old Testament will help you. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You see, the scriptures are the antidote to all of the false stuff going on around you. If you want to get a gain a sense of peace, don't keep watching cable news or popping onto your favorite Twitter person that is posting stories all the time. 
Maybe you need to shut that down a little bit and pick up the old-fashioned Bible and recognize he will help you know who you are and where you need to be. The New Testament was written during an era of steep persecution and death, and the early church gained strength from the scripture to move forward. Our spiritual ancestors found perspective and direction and courage as they clung to the inspiration of the word of God. And God raised up spiritual heroes in those days who took the baton from Abraham and Sarah and Moses and even a prostitute named Rahab who was used to save Israel. And he built a legacy through her descendants, which included Jesus. And the early church looked back to those people in order to move forward. In fact, in Hebrews 11, which is known as the faith chapter, it says this, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David and Samuel and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice and received what God had promised them. In other words, they looked back to the scripture in order to find strength for their own future. And God had a way of making the scripture applicable and inspirational during these seasons. And when the early church faced plagues, they would look to the plagues of the Old Testament to consider what God was up to in the present tense. Yes, there were imperfect people, but God showed his grace in their story. And if God could show them grace, how many know he could show us grace? And, uh, and he gives us a sense of perspective. Now, how many of you have... Uh, done a lot of watching Netflix and Disney Plus and, and Prime Video and that type of thing over the last few months. Binge watching. What's your favorite show that you've locked in on, you watched several seasons of, or movies, or whatever it may be? You might have sat down and watched something like Home Alone 2. I took some pictures of Home Alone 2 on my screen. Uh, how many remember Home Alone, uh, the famous old movies, The Kid Left Alone? It's hilarious, okay? Or The Lion King, and The Lion King, of course, has uh, uh, epic tales, and this is from 2019 version of it. But I want you to notice that when you pause a video, something happens on this particular screen. At the bottom, it says 1342. That means the spot that we paused it was 13, and four, 13 minutes and 42 seconds into the movie. Now at the very end, which is not on my screen at the moment, is how much the total movie is. Now I want you to catch something. In the middle of 2020, how many have thought, this, is, this must be what the end times looks like, right? And it could be. It could be, we don't know how close we are to the end. We don't know where we're at in the movie. We don't know where... We're at in that spot of the movie. All we can see is this spot we're in. Now, we might be closer to the very end, or we might not be. We don't know. What we do know is God sees the whole movie. And because he sees the whole movie, he allows us into the story that he's brought us into. We can look back and see what he's already done, and we can look forward anticipating what he will do. But our hope isn't in where it's going. Our hope is in the one who made the movie. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Our hope is in the one who wrote the scripture and wrote time itself. And he put it all together. And prophecies are previews of a future movie. We don't know where those previews land in a timeline. 
People have tried forever. I remember back in the 80s, a book that said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 88. And then they wrote a follow-up. Maybe it's 89. And then they went away. There have been a lot of biblical people that have tried to put uh, dates and times to a prophetic insight. But I want to tell you, in the, New, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, when God would use a prophet, he never gave the exact times. He just said things are going to happen. And sometimes they randomly went back and forth. This is why it's important, church, to ne- get caught up in the negative, overwhelming sense of apocalypse end times and instead lean into the peace of the one who owns it all anyways. And there are some things that I want you to catch. There were goals that God had for prophecy. Let me give you a few of those. When he would give a prophetic insight, number one, he would do it to let people know that God is still here. In other words, when he would speak, sometimes we forget God's in the middle of this. I don't know how many times we got to remember that in the middle of what's going to happen. We don't know what 2021 looks like. We can get overwhelmed about where our kids are going to go through, and we can get overwhelmed about um, vaccinations and masks and all those other things and governments and elections, and we can lose the fact, wait a second, God's here. God is with us. And if God is with us, we got to remember that. The second thing is he would use prophecy to challenge people to get in alignment with heaven in real time. In other words, we can get so caught up in seeing what's going on out there that in here we're not living right. So when you look at the scripture, it's not a sign of something that's just going on out there. We need to remember, we need to get our life in, in, in alignment with heaven to make sure we're connect, connected to God's pathway and God's ways of doing things. Third thing is to declare what is coming in the bigger movie of God's plan. To declare what's coming in the bigger movie. In other words, there's more ahead. Um, If you think about it, in the Old Testament, there were things that were going to happen. The exile of Israel, the coming of a Messiah, Jesus' death and resurrection, the final judgment, new heavens and new earth at the end of time. All of those things were coming. So when they happened, we recognized, whoa, this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said through the Old Testament, what God said through the Old Testament. Four, the fourth goal is to bring hope. God always encourages people whose hearts are submitted to him. In other words, prophecy is not meant to scare anyone. It's meant to bring hope. And the encouragement comes to those whose hearts are submitted to him. If you're not submitted to God, you can get scared. But if your heart is submitted to God, he holds us. This week in our Bible in one year, I don't know how many of you are going through it as a church with me. It's been great. In fact, Romans was great this week and stuff. But there was a statement, I think it was on Friday, about hope, and it said this. It says, many people see only a hopeless end, but with Jesus, you can enjoy an endless hope. Isn't that good? With Jesus, we, we have an endless hope. In other words, that hope doesn't run out. We should be the people that have hope in this hour. Christians should not be the ones uh, uh, crying foul to everything you see around you. Shouldn't be calling out people and talking about how horrible the end times are. No, we should be looking at the hope we have within us. Because the rest of the world, they're having a hard time. They're looking to us. We better not be like, oh, help, I'm drowning. No, I'm not drowning. I got Jesus with me. I got hope in me. I'm okay. And you should know the Jesus that I know. That's where hope should be found. For the series, we're going to look at some historical books that will provide incredible perspectives and wisdom for us in this time of history. So I'm going to drop you into a very particular part of 
ancient history that is a very real moment in Israel's story in the Old Testament times. And see, there was a, a prophecy earlier on that, that God would send Israel into judgment and exile if Israel disobeyed God's ways. And God was patient with them, but they continued to walk away and not follow God's ways. And so other armies came in, the Babylonians first, and then the Persians took over, and, and there were different empires that took over. And they took their young leaders and the generations that were Israel's future, and they took them into exile, and they left Israel desolate. And all of this was prophesied ahead of time. In fact, God didn't just prophesy destruction. He prophesied hope inside of the destruction. There was a prophet named Jeremiah, you'll see in the Old Testament. And the prophet Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he saw what was coming, that Israel would be thrown into 70 years of captivity. And it was, it was a horrible picture in his mind. He was called the weeping prophet. But right in the middle of that, God gives uh, Jeremiah a promise that he gives in this prophecy in Jeremiah 29. That there was hope on the other side of it. In fact, let's read it. This was the promise. It says in verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray... I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will, what? Find me. See, God had a plan ahead of time before this thing happened. God had a plan ahead of time before COVID-19 came. Come on, church. God had a plan ahead of time. And he said, when this stuff comes, if you call out to me, I will answer. I, how many know God's not scared right now? He's not surprised, and he's not biting his nails nervously. God already saw this coming. He knew what was coming, and there were parts of it we had nothing to do with. It wasn't our fault necessarily, but God's plan is moving forward. Sometimes God's plan involves some things that feel uncomfortable, things that we don't like. And if we get caught up in the things we don't like, the uncomfortable aspects of it, we might miss the fact this is all a part of God's plan. And if we lean into what God wants us to do and we call out to him, he'll take us through to the other side of the uncomfortable season. But if we fight God, how many know sometimes that extends the season? It extends the season. I remember preaching to teenagers as a youth pastor and I would talk about the consequences of sin. And I would talk about, but there's life if you follow God's way. And sometimes some of those teenagers chose to still sin because they love to sin. And how many know sin is fun for a season? But there are consequences to it. How many of you later on in life, you came back to God? You came back, but there are consequences because you, you delayed God's promises in your life because you lived your own way. For us as a church, I'm calling you church, we need to get in alignment with where God wants us to be now if we want his benefits now. 
If we want his love and his joy and his peace and his contentment, then we need to follow him right now. It's not, well, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to put my two, two minutes in to listen to a devotion app, but I'm going to live my own way. No, I need to be in alignment with what God's word says. And if I do, when I call upon him, he will answer me. He will answer. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose for you. You don't have to understand it in order to trust that he has a purpose for you. Proverbs 19.21 says it this way. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Okay, so what happens is, after Jeremiah prophesied, sure enough, Israel was taken over. The leaders were taken away to Babylon. And now they're being raised up couple generations worth of young people, not trained in following Jesus or in following Yahweh, but in following the rules and the regulations of that land. But many of them were moved up in hierarchy. They gained important positions in these empires. And even when the empires were taken over and Babylon, Babylon was taken over by another empire, those same leaders rose through the ranks and they became important. And they now had to, to, to face the future, this new normal, this new future in a different way. And God decided the time has come. I'm now going to send three leaders back in different ways to, to restore my plan for Israel. And so we're going to look at those three over this series. The three are Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai. Ezra had rose through the ranks to become essentially the secretary of state of an empire. He also was a priest in, in Israel's uh, religion. And, and as he functioned in a kind of a dual capacity, one of the things that he was allowed to do was to go back to Jerusalem from where he was. He got to travel there and observe and see the condition of his homeland. And as he went through his homeland, he discovered that there were a lot of bad things happening. The economy had collapsed. People were not serving God. There was no temple, which was this central place of worship to God. And things were dilapidated. His country looked horrible. So Ezra goes back to his king. His king is going to give him permission to go back and reestablish the temple and some other things in that land. And then you have Nehemiah, who followed Ezra a little bit later. As a matter of fact, Ezra and Nehemiah could almost be written together as one narrative, if you will. Ezra hands it off, and Nehemiah is in a different position. He's the cupbearer to the king. That isn't just a food service thing, friends. This is a very important role, the most trusted person of the king. For whoever gave them the, the, the drink had already tested it, and it filtered out assassins, people that would put poison in the drink and that kind of thing. So it was the most trusted person. And Nehemiah, too, went back to J Jerusalem and observed things. But he had a different assignment. His assignment was to actually rebuild the walls around Jerusalem for its protection and reestablish government in the land. And I believe that God will use both the priest aspect, but he'll also use us in our secular vocations to be a part of the plan that God has for us. He'll use you and your skill set and, and the things that you learned in college or in your de developmental seasons and the career that you're in. He'll use who you are in his plan. It's not just the pastor on Sunday morning. God wants to use the whole church. Can I get an amen to that? 
And then we're going to look at Haggai the prophet. Prophet Haggai had a different perspective. He did not have an official role in the government or in the land, but he had a voice. And his voice was used to communicate God's heartbeat for the people of Israel to return to God, not just physically, but in their hearts. And he was leading them, moving them towards considering your ways. In fact, that will be a key phrase in his his writings, consider your ways, consider your heart, move back in your heart to where you should be. And the purposes of God's messages to the Judean leadership and people was to awaken them to spiritual responsibility. So I'm only going to look at one text for this week, and then we'll unpack more in the coming weeks. I want you to look with me at Ezra chapter 1. In Ezra chapter 1, it says this, and this is kind of this whole narrative, all right? In Ezra chapter 1, in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah, and he stirred the heart of Cyrus, which is the king, to put this proclamation in writing to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what King Cyrus of Persia says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. And he has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem in Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock is well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. Now I want you to catch here in the big picture, God will fulfill his plans. God had prophesied through Jeremiah and now this thing is happening. How many know God will fulfill the plans he has for your life too? That you can trust that he'll weave things together. In this particular story, he uses Cyrus, who is not Jewish, who's not a part of the Israelite community. He's going to use this guy to bring him home. Now, I have a map. I don't know if you can still show the the, the map um, of that general area. But I want you to see this is a part of the globe, if you will, that in the bottom is Arabia or the, the Arabian Peninsula that goes down there. Up above that to the left is Palestine, and you can see the Mediterranean Sea, Egypt down there where uh, Egypt is, and the rest of that green territory. Cyrus oversaw all the green territory. Why would he care about a temple in a little dot we now know as Israel. Why would he care about it? I'll tell you why. Because when God is in charge of the whole earth, he'll put it on the hearts of people we don't even expect to move things towards his plan. He'll move the resources, he'll move the finances, the people and the pathway to get people where he wants them to be. And this is what I want you to catch in this day and hour. God sets up kings and he takes them down. The individual leader, there was a whole bunch of different leaders in this story. There, there, there was uh, 
Cyrus and, and Darius and Artaxerxes and all kinds of different leaders. Irrelevant in this sense. God took them up and he took them down. Our hope is not in the leader. Our hope is in the one who's above the leader. I want you to hear me this year. In 2020, in another election year, there's going to be a lot of people to put their hope in one particular candidate or another. Don't put your hope in a man or a woman. Put your hope in the God who is above all of that, church. And remember that God has a way of weaving it all together where he wants it to be. Don't get caught up. Listen. I'm telling you right now, marketers and people that are, are pushing social media and all of the media that ends up in our brain, they're, they're playing on fears in people's hearts. If this person gets in, this will happen. If this person doesn't, this will happen. And if you get caught up in all that, you'll leave, your heart will leave, keeping focused on Jerusalem and the temple and the place where God wants your heart to be, your heart to be at home with God. He owns it all. I'm not saying we don't pray, we pray for our nation. We pray for the world. We pray for the movement that God wants in political positions and business positions, community roles and all of that. We pray for those things, but our hope is not in the result of those things. Our hope is in God, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who created it all. That's who we trust in. It's gonna take some time for all of God's plans to come together. Ezra, Nehemiah comes behind him, Haggai comes in there. But listen, there is always opportunity hidden in our calamity. God is at work and we can trust that he's gonna weave it all together. The key for Israel and the key for us is to go home, to agree with our creator and surrender to his plan for our lives. It means getting our heart in the right place. It means trusting that God's plan is better than our fears. Trusting that God knows how to raise kids in a pandemic. Can I get an amen to that? Trusting that God knows how to take care of your worry about financial concerns. And how about this? Trusting that God can move the hearts of our nation far better than any one politician. See, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Haggai needed to go back and restore the core of what made their nation special, the temple, the city, and the lifestyle the people needed to return to God. And we need to move toward a new future by returning to an ancient faith. We move into a new future by listening to the Spirit. This week, I was uh, an unexpected week. Some of you may know that my best friend since sixth grade, when I was 11 years old, was a guy named Mark Kenny. Mark Kenny actually eventually was a worship leader at Emmanuel a few years ago and part of the staff. Mark and I became best friends in sixth grade. He played trombone and I played alto saxophone in the Crestwood Middle School band. And uh, we became best friends and we hung out at each other's houses and I raided the kitchen fridge at his house and uh, I was a part of their, his family's life. My, he was a part of my family's life and as we grew older, kind of stayed thick and thin, so much so that after Jody and I got married, he agreed with my choice so much that he married Jody's identical twin. <laughs> I don't know if that's how the story goes, but he actually did marry my wife's identical twin, Jamie. 
And uh, so now we're related officially, family-wise, and we're connected to each other. And Mark's been a big part of my story. He's a true friend. He loves the Lord. He's a campus pastor in a church on the south side of the Twin Cities now. And just we stay in contact. Well, this week, I got a text from him that his mom had died. And so all these years that we've been kind of partnered together, we are now hitting a new stage. One of our parents went to be with the Lord. Now, she had uh, uh, dementia as a result of some strokes and some other things. And so she hadn't really been cognitively connected to the rest of the world for a long time. And there was a sense of rest and peace. And it was a good moment as she went to be with the Lord. But we went back to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I grew up for the funeral this week, and it was on Friday. And uh, it was nostalgia week for me. I, I was driving through a city that I mostly grew up in. I moved to Minnesota 29 years ago. So I actually lived in Minnesota longer than I did in Michigan. But this is my homeland, if you will, this place that I remember. It was a place where there was an altar in a church that I would go and put my knee down and pray and talk to the Lord, where God got a hold of my life. And, I remember the elementary school I went to and different places I had worked at and, and things as we were in the city. But really, I was really moved on Friday during the funeral as we went through the funeral as family members got up and Mark led the service and was leading and singing and his kids and then some of the other grandkids shared their story in a poem. And I don't think I was thinking about my own life and how God works until we hit the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, we were singing that song and that, that verse, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as the scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. And I remember... As I was singing that, it was as if God opened my mind to understand how he weaves everything together in our stories in ways that we don't even understand. You see, here I was there to comfort my friend at a time of his family's loss. But in reality, I was also tapping into how big God is. Because God had used Sherry, Kenny, Mark's mom, to influence me when I was 11 years old and on through, directly and indirectly. You see, God wasn't just using the people in my family to shape me. God had control of the whole world. And I was tapping into one part and I recognized my true north, my safe place was being in the presence of God. And somehow, in some way, God had used this woman, raising her son to love the Lord, singing in faith and going to church to have an impact indirectly on my life. And I'm just wanted to encourage you right now. You, you don't have to be afraid if you trust in the Lord. He's already working right now in your life. He's got people around you. You don't even see the depth and the breadth of God's plan. He's moving the pieces. He has the whole world in his hands. He knows what's coming and we don't need to be afraid for God is in charge. We can lift up our eyes. We can trust in the creation, creator of our souls and know that he is good and he is with us. Today, I want to ask everyone on each of our campuses to stand right now. If you would just stand. 
And I would like you to do something. I'm, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This is not the prayer of salvation. This is actually for everyone. But can you just put your hands like this, like you're not holding on to yourself? And can you just pray this, just repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm coming back to your plan. I'm tired of fighting against you. I want to join your plans. Come on, just do that right now. Just, Lord, we surrender to you. We trust in you. Surrender to you. I don't want to fight on my own. I want to yield to you and lean in to all that you have for me. You just close your eyes wherever you are. Go ahead and put your hands back down for a moment. Because I want to give an opportunity. There may be some that have been listening this service. And you're away from God and you need to come back home. You've wandered away and you need to get back to rebuilding the temple. You need to recenter yourself and surrender to heaven. And maybe you've never given your life to Christ. This is your moment to turn to God and surrender to him and ask him to lead you and take over. Or you wandered away sometime along the way and it's time to come home. I want to pray with you. And if that's you, I don't know who you are, but I, I want you to be able to respond in your heart. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can pray this out loud and everybody else you can join in. But if you need to re return to Christ, you can do it. Or you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, you can do it right now. And all of us can join her in. Just say this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, thank you for loving me so much that you came to the earth, died on the cross for my sin. And then you rose from the dead. You're alive. Today, I surrender to you. I give up and ask you to take over. I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, 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 amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, I just believe God is creating new creations all over the place. He's hitting the reset button in your story. There's the opportunity to handle anything in life. So if you prayed that prayer, whether you're online watching us or you're in one of our campuses, I'd love for you to take the next step and follow through in following Jesus. And all you got to do, I'll help you out with that. Just text the word Emmanuel to 313131. Just E-M-M-A-N-U-E-L to 313131. And I'll send you a quick link to the next steps of following Jesus. I encourage you to do that even now. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.